few disclaimers. I'm not a neat preacher. Luke is going to have to hold a class on homiletics and chronology and how to put it all together in a sequence that makes sense. Are we good? In a sequence that makes sense. Um, I have to be honest with you that the sermon, the message, was a challenge for me. And we're living in a time that we're talking about crisis. Yes? Is that the new word, the trendy word? COVID-19 and our society is in crisis. Yes? And here's the thing that got me. When I listen to people talk about the crisis, here Christians as well, I can't find any distinction between a Christian and an unbeliever in terms of their perspective on the crisis. Are you with me? Because everyone is focusing on what the crisis is. No one is focusing that there is... I borrowed that. That there's an omnipotent God that allowed COVID-19. And instead of trying to find out why he allowed it, we're focusing on what it is. You think he didn't know there was going to be a COVID-19? I could get into conspiracy theory and all these kinds of things, but to what avail? The question should be, at least for us, why has God allowed this global pandemic? And I don't hear Christians talking about that. When I say Christians, I mean myself. I'm not talking about you. I've just been sucked into the secular viewpoint on this pandemic and all the fears that surround it. And I have to question my Christianity or my belief or faith in God because it was so easy to sucker me in. I lay on my face last night at 2 o'clock, crying, asking God for forgiveness. I'm praying and I didn't feel anything. I called my brother in California and I said, say a prayer for me. And he sent me a prayer. A very beautiful prayer. To remind me the lies of the devil. And this COVID-19 is nothing but that to get us to take our eyes off Jesus. Crisis. We will look at this story and we will see crisis in this story and how God expects us as Christians to behave 
to represent him during crisis. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you now in the precious name of Jesus. As we are in your presence, we ask you for your forgiveness for not looking to you first and always. Father, we ask that you will open our hearts to receive you now in a very special way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask that you whisper a word of prayer in your hearts for me so you can move past the mistakes and all the human uh, shortcomings because our goal here is to receive a message from God. Anything else, might as well you leave. Naaman was a military general, an expert at war and planning war and executing war. And through him, God had brought success to this kingdom. And the Bible said, but he had what? Leprosy. I don't want to get into what leprosy. Let's just say leprosy is like a version of COVID. Is that all right? Hmm? We panic on COVID. Oh, we hear COVID. Now. Oh, right? Go sneeze beside somebody. Oh, right? And we know that leprosy, you had to be quarantined. Isn't that what they're telling us now? You had to be quarantined with leprosy. Exiled, if you wish. You were not allowed to what? Mingle in society. Is that what we know about leprosy, as the New Testament tried to point us to us? Yes. And when you were cured, you had to be what? Certified. We believe that we are the only generation that has faced crisis on a global level. Now, and so this leprosy that would quarantine people, the question is, do you think that that leprosy should have been a humbling experience for an individual. Remember, I, I interact. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Thank you very much, Pastor. But we won't be pointing on you, okay? <laughs> Isn't leprosy something that debilitating that is a humbling experience for anybody? The question is then, why wasn't Naaman humble? Because he wasn't. Why would Naaman, of all the lepers, not be someone that was humbled? Because he wasn't good looking. Leprosy took care of that. But he was able to what? Mingle, unlike other lepers because of his skill. In fact, he was second in the kingdom. Hmm? Next to the king. Perhaps that allowed him to think that I'm different from other lepers. And so he was haughty. And so on one of the raids in Israel, they captured a young lady on the way back. And you know, war is sophisticated now. It's not like back then. You know, you could go sit in some place in um, the Mojave Desert in California and 
control a little drone and you're in war. You know, it's different. We have the Navy, you know, we have the Air Force and all the different ways that wars are fought today. Back then, war was what? Up, close, and personal. You had to get in there, hand to hand, looking someone in their eye, plunging away, wide bloodshed, brutal. That's what war was. And so, when you consider that Naaman was able to bring certain victory to this kingdom, it wasn't Naaman. But Naaman had a certain belief system. You see, we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, sometimes we turn our nose on other Christians because we have the truth. But you see the little truth that they have? They are committed to it. Because that's what they know as truth. Are we committed to our expansive truth? The same way they are committed to their small truth? And see, so this was Naaman. And for that, the Lord saw honor in him and brought him victory because he had a bigger plan. And so, the Lord is the one that allowed them to be successful against Israel. That's what the passage really says and really means. And on their way back, they took spoils of war and they carried a young lady back, a little girl, the Bible says. Now, what is the irony that you're captured from your land? We're talking about crisis. And your people has just been plundered, brutally murdered. Perhaps on her journey back, because when you're going back as prisoners of war, I don't think they put you up on any chariot on your journey back. Do you think? Hmm? You're probably, and you're walking, yes? Do you think she's probably stepping over dead bodies? Maybe she saw someone from her very, very community. An uncle or somebody, but you had to walk through that stuff. And I'm saying to myself, then how is it she could have had all that experience? Because is, is this not a crisis? She is going out to another land as a slave. Never to return. Is that crisis? Huh? Never to return. And to add insult to injury, she had to walk through the what? End result of a brutal war. So then I get puzzled when the Bible says, she said to Naaman's wife, if only my master would go back to my city, he could be healed. She heard the person responsible for her being a slave in pain and agony and showed compassion. I think you missed it. 
not human. I can't promise anybody that I would do that. And I have to say to myself, when she went there originally, was she mad? Was she angry? Was she showing the, the, the mistress attitude in that household? I don't know. But common sense tell me that she could not have gone and showed like negative attitude in the beginning and then turn it around to show a positive attitude afterwards to have the impact to have that man go to his king and say, I can go get healed in Israel. The Bible let it sound really sweet and nice. But you really think when Naaman went to that king to say, I can go get healed over there. And the king said, oh yes, go ahead. You're trying to tell me the king didn't say, who told you that? Imagine Naaman had to say, well, this may sound weird. The slave girl that is in my house who I killed her people told me that. What would let Naaman have the courage to trust what she said to go to the king with such a ridiculous idea? That's the question. Anyway, the king said, go on. Sent a letter. They went over there. He presented it to the king of Israel. And what was his response? Focusing on himself. He's a victim. Who does he think I am? I can't do this. I can't do that. An opportunity to witness for God from someone who was in an uh, esteemed position and his approach was to say I can't this and I can't that. Doesn't sound like someone who knows the real God. Hmm? When I look at that, I'm saying, I hear about this COVID thing, and when you listen to how some of us as Christians talk, doesn't sound like they know the real God. Talking about myself. When you hear COVID, we talk about Six feet, ten feet, twenty feet, don't sneeze, don't shake, don't this. I'm not saying you're to do that. It's not what I'm saying. But the way we, the way we, you know, you have some naughty members. I'm not going to point any fingers. They're distracting me, you know. But, yes. I, I'm not saying that's what we are to do, you know. But I'm saying the narrative is, and I'll ask the question, did you use COVID? as an opportunity to win a soul for God. Amen. See, that's the thing. You see, that's where we're going to go today. Because all we were focusing on was temporal things when you listen to people talk, including Christians. That's what we did. And that's what we're doing. We focus on all those earthly ramifications. And at no point we have pushed the agenda of God that he allowed COVID because he's in control of everything. He's Alpha, he's Omega. He knew COVID was coming and he allowed it 
because he's expecting his people to respond a certain way. And look at how that king responded. Kind of like how we would, and we have been. And Elijah heard rumors, you know. We like to spread rumors in the church. Right? That's what happened. The Bible said he heard, Elisha heard. Excuse me, right? Isn't that, isn't that what the Bible said? Elisha heard. Because he wasn't really allowed in the palace. When Naaman went to the palace and requested to be healed, if Naaman stayed at that palace, he would not have met God or the power of God. Because the king who represented God's people was not in tuned with God in a real relationship. That's why he was focusing on himself, like he was the solution, much like we do. Was that not the Sabbath school lesson today? Huh? How do we say God is with us? Yet, as soon as a trial comes, we go to other sources for solutions. But God is with us. We are no different. We come up with all these other solutions but God. And so Elisha said, you know what? Send him to me. And Naaman, he rolled up on Elisha in his chariots. You know what that meant? He was important. In those days when you travel in chariots, you are a big wig. You are of position, important, so you need to be treated what? Differently. With esteem and respect. So imagine when Elisha didn't go out to him to tell him what to do, but sent his servant to tell him, go dip in that dirty water down there. Would that not be offensive to someone who looked beyond his present condition of a leper and was still proud? Because leprosy humbled people, but he was proud in spite of his leprosy. And see, he rolled up in chariots with all the emblem and symbols of the kingdom that just destroyed you. And you're sending out someone you didn't even have the courtesy to come out to me. Do you know who I am? I can wipe you out again. This is his mindset. And you don't have no respect. But God is so all-knowing. You think Elisha made that decision on his own not to go out there? Mm-mm. God impacted him. God spoke to him and told him, do not go out there. Send. Because you see, God had to humble Naaman. He needed to be humbled. And so, that was all by design. And he got angry and he wanted to leave. And, you know, his servants or the men that went with him, they talked to him and spoke some sense into him. If you allow me for a second... You know, they said to him, hey, listen, if you go, 
If he told you to do something spectacular, wouldn't you have done it? Made sense, right? Logic, yeah? Yeah. Allow me for a second. I'm not changing one jot nor one tittle. Okay, don't be telling Pastor Luke that I'm trying to change scripture. Okay? But what if also the men said to him, what you going back to tell the king? Because he sent you here to get healed. You can't tell him that you didn't do what they said. Because the king's name is at stake. Because he sent his official letter. You understand? And you don't do what they say. And you want to come back and tell me what? You are the one that told me that you can get healed over there. And I gave you my letter. So they say Naaman is a man of faith. And I'm like, faith or frustration faith or desperation I don't know if it's faith you know was he desperate was he frustrated he had what no other choice I don't know you tell me what do you think because the way we present this story, oh, he dipped into, and they have a wonderful song on this name and saying, and he went down in the water. Sounds nice. So he went and he dipped, and he got healed. And the beautiful thing about God is this He didn't come here to heal us physically. <laughs> No, he didn't come here for that. Jesus is not really here for physical healing. Check the records. Everyone in that New Testament that Jesus lay hands on healed, he says, go and sin no more. He's here for spiritual healing. Physical healing is a byproduct. So when Naaman got healed physically, Oh, the spiritual healing happened before. During the process of him dipping. The spiritual healing was taking place. That's why when he came out physically healed, in his pen of inspiration said that he was healed spiritually before that happened because when God come and lays hands on you, it's not a physical touch. And he went back to Elisha. And I always wondered, why didn't they say he went back to Elijah with the chariots now? I'm like, why did they do that? They just said he went back. Before he went, pull up in his chariots, but now he went back. And I thought to signify... Humility. He was humbled now. Even if he went back to the, with the chariot, I just feel like maybe it was omitted for a reason. Just allow me to use my own in, in, intellect or how it speaks to me. I don't know how it speaks to you. But that's what came to me. 
He went back now, humble. Why? Because when your life is changed for righteousness sake, you have, you have now become humble. That's what changes when God lays hands on you. You have to now be humble. And he went back and he wanted to say thank you because he has brought wealth and nice garments. Something like, you know, Luke dresses, you know? You know what I mean? And I saw Elder Rajan today and I told him, I like the way he looked. You know, he was dressed really nice today. But that's what happened. He went to say thank you. And again, the Lord spoke to Elisha. Now you see, it's okay to receive a gift for men who are in the ministry to continue to do the ministry. But here is someone who was a heathen coming in and got healed. The custom in his land is that they paid for their blessing. And there's no way God would allow him to think that he could pay for salvation. Salvation is free. And so God had to ensure that no funds will be received or gift or spoils in any way for what I have done for you because you can't pay for it. We can't pay for it. Do you know how some of us think we can pay for it? I'm talking about Gary G. Yes, me. Oh, because I dropped my tithes and my offerings. Oh, because I volunteer to be a part of the Sabbath school. Oh, because I will go on the prayer line from time to time. I think I can pay for it by doing things for God. That's not what he wants. He doesn't want our prayers or offerings. He wants our obedience. Because through obedience, all those other things will fall into place. Because if we're doing those things with an unclean heart, it gets nowhere with God. You can't fool him. The lesson told us, the Sabbath school lesson spoke about that. Why we should fear him. Because if he's on your side, nothing else can trouble you. But if he's not on your side, you can run, but you can't hide. You can't give to God anything tangible. All he wants is obedience. He told Israel at one point, I don't want any more burnt offering and any more sacrifices. I don't want any more of that. I just want your obedience. And you know what Naaman said? Naaman said, it's when I go back to my pagan land and the king hold my hand and we're praying to Rimon, just know, I'm asking you permission to know if I can do that and be acceptable that I'm worshiping the living God. Is that not what it said? And I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. That, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that 
when trial come my way, if I can come up with a substitute to still worship God in obedience by not doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Because this is what Naaman was saying to him. And I'm like, but how can the Bible tell me that this man was converted completely, but then he's asking, can I still bow to Rimon? And you know that I'm really worshiping God. I'm like, how can that be? Have you stopped to think about that when you read this passage? How could that be? And they say that he's converted. And then the Spirit said, here. I'm like, yes. Those who are babes in the faith, it will take them time to get to that place. But for the rest of us who have been in this business for a long time, we don't have that excuse. Naaman had to go back to an entire heathen nation where there's no support system whatsoever. So he's asking, would it be okay for me to still bow in our temple to Rimon, but I will be worshiping God? He was asking Elijah, and this was so powerful for me, Elijah's response. I couldn't understand it at first. Read the thing so many times until it came to me, in my opinion, when God said to him, Elisha said, go in peace. And the scripture said he never answered that question. He never gave him advice. Why? And inspiration says, because he hadn't talked to God about that. Some of us are quick to give people spiritual guidance when we never talk to God about it. Not because God told him, tell him, dip in the Jordan seven times, meaning that I now get the right to tell him how to deal with that situation. I didn't talk to God about it, so anything I'm telling you outside of consulting God is me. Never underestimate that. Never think because God tells you one thing and it's righteous and you that you now have the right to go beyond that and don't consult with him. Consult with God on everything. Because that's when we fall into the trap of feeling like we are spiritual and we are holy, but you're not because the flesh is prone to sin. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can have any form of holiness. And so we haven't answered the question yet. Did we win a soul for Christ during this pandemic? Was that your mission during COVID? How does God want us to react during crisis? You know who is maligned in this story? The little girl. Anytime this story is spoken, we whoop. Gloss over her. Naaman should have a part two from this story. Because Naaman was saying, should I still bow to Rimon but worship God on the side? You know what I mean? So there should be a part two. Yes? But with a little girl, there's no part two. 
She was a slave. Her people murdered. She sent to another land where she will die. And she had every motive to enjoy the suffering of Naaman when she's in there making the oxtails. I mean, you know what I mean. Or the lasagna, you know. Imagine your enemy, the person who's responsible for defeating your entire nation. You're living in the house and you hear them groan in pain and agony day after day. And you get to hear that. Isn't that some kind of vengeance for you? Huh? Would you enjoy hearing the person who is responsible for wiping out your parents, your cousins, your neighbors, and everybody? Wouldn't you enjoy hearing them in agony since you don't have the other means to exact revenge or vengeance? Wouldn't you enjoy it? Only Luke would enjoy it. Because I don't hear anybody else. Right? Isn't that natural for us to want vengeance? Yet she says if he could only, she felt his pain, her enemy's pain. Crisis. Isn't that what God wants us to do? Not to let our circumstances let us act like a victim. Because, guess what? There are no victims. Oops, sorry to burst a bubble. Once you're born in this world, there are no victims. There's only one victim. And that's Jesus Christ. Because he did nothing wrong. Yet he had to suffer the most brutal of death. Forever. Only one victim. So when you look at COVID, there are no victims. From a spiritual standpoint, are you with me? I'm not saying that you're not to hurt for your loved ones or your friends, your well-wishers. But I'm saying, as Christians, we have an opportunity or we have to make sure that we contextualize covid if you're living in this world and you're not contextualizing your crisis, then you are not wrapped up in God. Don't get quiet on me. Are you understanding? So when you go out there, stop talking about COVID like the unbelievers. God allowed it. So you have to say to yourself, what's my role? in this COVID thing for the master. Because he had a crisis too. Jesus did. How did he respond? He told those guys, his disciples, who professed to be Christians. I read it this morning in Sabbath school, John 16, verse 29 to 33. When they said, don't speak in any parable now. Speak straight. We don't want no stories now. We don't want to have to think what you mean. We believe that you came from God, is what they said to him. You understand? And he said, oh, do you believe? This is Jesus. Do you really believe? Huh? Well, guess what? You're going to leave me. That's what God said to the disciples. You're going to leave me. But God will not leave me. Isn't that what we abandoned during this COVID? We abandoned the thought that God is still with us. And we start to focus, oh, whew, they got to 3,000 deaths. They got to 10,000 deaths. They got to this. And we'll think, we're just looking up 
on, on the, the thing the way the devil wants us to look at it. Focusing on, he just stares us as Christian. Uh, uh, uh. You see the thing with the Beatitudes? When, when it says, and Jesus went up into the mountains and he taught what? His disciples saying, it never said the disciples. It said what? His, everyone that was following him. The message behind that is that you could either choose to be a disciple or choose to be what? One of the crowd. And that's what we have done during COVID. We have, Christians, has chosen to be one of the crowd. Just like the crowd. We didn't say, COVID, people are dying. Let me go minister to somebody to try to save somebody like a thief on the cross last minute for Christ. No, we're like, oh my God, everybody's dying. I better call my granny. I go, no. Checking up on our people instead of checking in with God. What's my role here now, Father? There's a crisis. You need soldiers. Here I am. What's my role? But we want to go to heaven because easy like the disciples to say, we know you are from God. Oh yeah? But they all fled when it got tough. They all fled. Have we fled our duty as Christians during this COVID crisis? I know I have. Because I came and I played church. See, I don't know what's in your heart, so I could not be talking about you. I have to talk about me. And my brother, you know, I wasn't going to read it, but I have to read it. My brother sent me a prayer. Have we fled? We don't talk about the little girl. Parents, if I ask you what's going to happen to your son, what are you going to tell me? You don't know. Do you know? Pauline, ask your question. You know, when your teacher asks you a question, you need to answer. Do you know what's going to happen to him in his life? You don't know. That little girl parents didn't know. You don't know where it's going to end up. So you have to keep teaching him the ways of the Lord because wherever he ends up, you would want him to respond the way the girl responded. Are you with me, mommy? Hmm? Yes. Because the king didn't respond like he knew Christ, the king of Israel. No, he did not. Look at the servant of Elisha. He went back with greed to go and try and get stuff. And look at what? He got the leprosy. You can't hide from God your motives. You cannot. And in the book of Luke, it says that all those in the days of Naaman, in Israel that had leprosy, God only chose to heal one. And it was that heathen man, Naaman. Because the others were so proud and did not have belief in God. But they were God's people. Parents, you don't know where your kids are going. So your duty is to still train them in the way of the Lord so that come what may, wherever they go, they will stand tall for God especially when we have failed. 
We had several baptisms this year. And I can't claim that I was any help to any of those baptisms. So what am I going to say to God? Oh, but I was going to church. Hmm? I was going to church. No, I wasn't called to go to church. He says, go he therefore and teach all nations. Which means, go tell somebody about the good news of salvation. Whether crisis is there or not, I don't want to hear it because I went through the worst crisis ever. And never stopped me from teaching what? The good news of salvation. You want to be my disciple? That's what I want you to do. Stop playing victim. Stop focus on anything else. But spreading the word of God. Nothing else matters. I'm going to stop. Because I've been going through my own conflict. And my own struggles. Physically, I'm having health issues. Some of you know. Thanks for your prayers. I'm medicated right now so I can talk without being in pain. A little girl is in crisis. Mental anguish, no parent want their children to suffer like that. And so you don't know what's going inside. And then I'm asked to speak, and I'm like, why should I? When you made the worst thing could happen to someone's child, and you're asking me you not know, to do something for you, how unfair is that? And the devil telling me all kinds of lies. And I have to say, I don't want to. I remember Job's wife cursed God. You do everything right for your children. You raise them in the Lord. And you allow the worst thing that can happen to them. How do you look at God in prayer and pray and not feel vengeance? And my brother sent me something. And it says... When I'm tired and weak, you are strong, Lord, and you are my source of help. I cannot fight without you. Teach me how to pray and to trust you, to pull down those strongholds that keep me or others helpless. It says, guard me from isolation that leaves me exposed and vulnerable. I believe you destroyed the power of my enemy by your death and resurrection. So it may not be now, but the death and resurrection will take care of all of them. You understand? And it says, but like a bad penny, my enemy keeps showing up. My enemy is the devil. It's not the people that hurt my baby. It's the devil. I have to remember that. I don't wrestle against flesh or blood. I wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. So what happened to my baby? 
It's the devil. I have to remember that. And he says, whispering lies in my ears about you, twisting the truth and attempting to inflate my selfish pride. He never gives up. The devil, he doesn't give up. If he can't get you in one thing, he's going to rip you apart in something else. So you have to hold on to God. It says, I am declaring the devil and his demons liars today. Because last night, I'm telling you, I couldn't read the message. I, I didn't read the message. I couldn't read it for days, weeks, because my heart is heavy. I had to ask God, just let it come out, whatever you want to say, because I can't read it. I'm telling you, it says, through the power of your precious name and blood, I agree with your word and the truth that you are in me and that you are greater than my enemy who wants to rule the world. You, your word and prayer, Lord, are my secret weapons. I belong to you. Remember that. You belong to God. I'm sorry. My eyes are dark now, you know. <laughs> I'm advancing age. It says, I belong to you, Lord. Help me to use it to defend others from Satan's fiery darts as well. No one and nothing can snatch me. Listen to this. No one and nothing can snatch me from your hands. See, that's the devil's thing. He will use any and everything to snatch you out of God's hand. He will hurt you in the worst kind of way for you to disbelieve God because I'm going down my road on my journey. I've worked in the church. I worked in corporate and I left it when I was a young man. I said, I want to work for God. I don't care what money I earn. And I've served him. I've put my children through Christian education and school sacrifice. Can't afford it, but I'm like, I want that because guess what? I didn't have certain things and I want them to know and trust God forever. And in my precious time, I come home from work on a Thursday night and hear the worst thing that could happen to somebody's kid. And I'm like, well, then why do I serve you? The devil tells me those lies. I've been struggling, blocking him out daily. And he finds different ways to let you don't believe and trust in God. I'm telling you, it says, strengthen my faith. Lord, forgive my sins so that I may be clean in your righteousness. Make me brave so I can stand and fight the spiritual battles. That's what you need strength for, not to fight against each other. Why do we do that? It's the devil that allows us to be fighting against each other. It's a spiritual fight. And his job is to get us to hate each other. Then he wins. 
doesn't matter how much offering you bring to this church. He wins. And in all of my struggles, the Lord is so wonderful. During this preparation and the Sabbath school lesson is what got me through. We are not victims. Doesn't what happened to my daughter. She's not a victim. That's the message. There's only one victim. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's what gives me hope. Because I said, yes, I have come short of your glory. Yes, I have been wayward. And the consequences of sin, I don't get to choose. I get to choose the action, but not the consequence. And if a consequence of my action is that my girls suffer because of generation, then she is not a victim. So have mercy upon my family, O oh God. According to your loving, tender mercies, let me see the big picture always, and that is you have died for my sins. And it doesn't matter the hurt I feel today, you will heal our broken heart. That's my message to you today. Don't look at this COVID as a victim and oh, this is, it's beyond that. Ask yourself, what role must I play during this crisis? Pray for each other. This has nothing to do with politics. This has nothing to do with finances. This has nothing to do with health issues. Nothing. God allows everything. He didn't make it happen. He allows it. For his good purpose. I'm going to ask the pastor to come and pray for us. That we don't lose our focus. And that's life eternal. Whatever you're going through, tell yourself, I'm not a victim. There's only one. And that's Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, Lord, may we hear the, the message through your servant, through our brother, Gary. Lord, we have heard his heart. And we know that his heart has been connected to you, and so we, therefore, have heard your heart. And so, God, may we, may we take up the challenge that you have just given to us, which is to use whatever crisis we find ourselves in, to not find ourselves as a victim, but to lean on you, to go to you, and to obtain love, mercy, patience, the fruit of the Spirit, to go and help bring somebody into your kingdom. Lord, we ask that you would continue to be with the Gardner family. Lord, we ask that you would be with all of us. That through your loving kindness that is new each and every morning, that we would have the strength to carry on in such a broken world. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.